This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long. I am here with the guys from Grindhouse Theology, which is a blog about horror and Christianity. So horror is my favorite genre. It's about the only thing I watch now. (laughs) And people are always really stunned when they hear this, that I've been a lifelong horror fan. And I I think they're stunned. I think they're astonished when they hear this because they assume that if you're into horror, you're kind of a, a, a backwards, underdeveloped person. And so I guess the question is always, how can someone well-rounded be a fan of horror and find value in horror? How can someone who is into justice and compassion and goodness love horror? And that's the question that I get all the time. It's probably a silly question, but it's one that I hope we can answer today. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. I stumbled across you guys on Twitter, and I read some of your blog, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to have these guys on. Um, And so go ahead and introduce yourselves. Yeah, um, my, my name is Ryan. Um, I'm, a, I'm a student at, at Southeastern uh, right now in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, yeah, we, we met at Oklahoma Baptist, though, and, and we actually, I think, spent a lot of our time when we were at OBU uh, just watching horror movies, like seeking out the most like uh, out there stuff we could find and then kind of watching it and talking over it together. Awesome. And uh, I'm Turner. I work as a software developer and... Uh, Love horror, particularly apocalyptic horror. I just like uh, watching it as like a way to think about the worst case scenario. And uh, I actually am an avid fan of The Walking Dead with my grandma. So <laughs> we we watch we watch The Walking Dead every week. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm Garrett Crawford. I uh, I live in Northwest Arkansas right now. Um, and I was, a uh, I was actually Ryan's roommate in college for a year and we watched plenty of horror films together. We, uh, I think our favorite was just watching mostly foreign films, uh, because the actors weren't recognizable. It makes it have a little more value to it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Cool. So what brings faith and horror together for you? What makes those two things click for you? Yeah. So I think uh, when I was when I was growing up and I, I say growing up, you know, by, by the time I was in my late teens and I had started to kind of, you know, mature to the point that I should have been at when I was like 12. Um, my favorite author was was Flannery O'Connor, um, you know, because she's kind of famous for uh, communicating the the sacred by means of the sordid, you know. Yeah. And, um, the, and the dark, fatally flawed, grotesque. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. You know, like her, her short stories kind of play out like uh, Christian episodes of, of Tales from the Dark Side or, or something like <laughs> that, you know. And, and uh, you know, and so it, her, her style and, and I think her, her spiritual, you know, kind of the spiritual discipline uh, of writing, I guess, that she took on really lends itself to horror, right? Because there's something just innately, uh, like there's a contact point, I think, between um, horror cinema or, or horror literature and, and transcendence. You know, um, um, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, like, oh, go well, on. and going off of that, I think like <clears throat> part of it is there is somewhat of a 
grotesque and distorted nature about the reality we live in that it's very easy to try to push to the back of your mind and just white noise the crap out of it. And uh, even though um, there's a lot of horror movies that you probably would never find in this reality, the situations that are depicted, they still can like remind us, oh yeah, that's there. And looking at the truth of that and also grappling with the truth of a good God and his presence with us, um, to me, helps me get to know the creator a little better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let me just interject there. I think what I, I think what I love the most about horror, it, well, one of the many things that I love about horror is how in a lot of ways, life has been very dark. We live, we live in a very, very dark world. And what I appreciate about horror is how it is about ordinary people struggling to survive in a horrific world. And, mm. and there's mm. something cathartic about that for me. There's, there's something really, really powerful about that for me because that rings true for me. And so, you know, when, especially in, um, in a lot of books by like Stephen King, his, his characters are so real and so raw and are doing the best they can to survive in a world that is out to destroy them. That feels very honest to me. That feels like a very accurate portrayal of the world. And so to me, horror kind of helps me process that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, going off of what, what Turner was saying, I mean, we it's, it's kind of interesting to me that we watch these films in kind of the comfort of not having to live them out. We sort of yes. are able to explore them. And I think that's why you have kind of adrenaline junkies who will watch them all the time, you know, in order to get a thrill out of them. And that's, I mean, that is what they're designed for. But we, there's also kind of a deeper aspect to them that we were exploring a very dark side of reality. And I mean, obviously not everything within the horror industry is realistic by any stretch, but in most good horror films there are at least aspects that we can find in in reality that we are sort of able to explore from the comfort of not having to live in it and i've always thought that was kind of interesting we we're not we don't have to be captured by it but we can look into it a little bit absolutely yeah that that's really really interesting one of the experiences that i had that kind of cemented why horror is valuable and why it has a place as art, as literature, as film, is because when I was 19 years old, I was in a shooting. And so I witnessed, oh yeah, and so I, and, I, and I've written about this here and there. I'm, think, I'm, I'm probably gonna do a podcast episode about it at some point, but it was in 2007, I was in Colorado, and I witnessed the death of two of my friends, and I was the fifth person in the hallway and the only one who wasn't shot. And two of my friends were killed and one of whom was like right behind me and to my right. And so I was right. I was right there. And it was about two weeks. And of course, that totally destroyed my life. I mean, of course, you know, my life is kind of marked between before the shooting and after the shooting. And 
it it completely transformed the way I see the world. My concept of home, my concept of safety was kind of forever destroyed. And about two weeks after the shooting, uh, my best friend uh, took me to go see Sweeney Todd, the Tim Burton Sweeney Todd. Now, we were both, you know, super queer theater queens. And and he, and he was like, we have to go see Sweeney Todd. It is non-negotiable. <laughs> and so... And, and so we we go to see Sweeney Todd, and as we go, he, Nathan's like, "Okay, now if you if you need to hold my hand, it's okay. If you need to leave, it's okay. <laughs> like just do what you do, whatever you need to do." And sure, yeah, I was anticipating watching Sweeney Todd to be kind of this horrific, horrifically difficult experience because I just witnessed a real life killer. I just ri- I just encountered a real life murderer. But I actually found it to be incredibly cathartic and therapeutic because that film put the the killer safely behind the screen in a way that I could safely look at him and analyze him and and but it was safe. He wasn't going to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it horror provides us a catalyst a place to to be able to look at that horror to look at the worst things and the scariest places and the worst possible outcomes and the things that scare us the most but at the end of the day it's just a movie or at the end of the day it's just a book and it won't hurt us and that can be very, very therapeutic. And that was kind of like the first step to my healing was watching Sweeney Todd with my best gay friend after, you know, two weeks after a shooting. And that was very, very cathartic for me. And that was when I kind of started to realize that that horror has a place. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If, that, if that's not if that's not a good enough endorsement for for people, I don't know what is. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, what are your <laughs> yeah. favorite what are your favorite movies? Who wants to go first? <laughs> Ryan, you got this. <laughs> okay, um, my my favorite horror movie probably is is Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is a really cliche answer, but I think it's it's cliche because it's exactly exactly that good um and you know to my shame i have not yet seen it it's been on my list and actually my my partner just recently watched it and thought it was great so yeah oh I need man to see it. yeah yeah now download uh download rabbit we can have a watch party rabbit yeah yeah it's like uh what is that it's uh, it's it's what my girlfriend and i used to uh watch like netflix and stuff from the opposite ends of of the uh country it's like uh oh, wow basically awesome. it's like a yeah it's a Chrome plugin. Yeah, okay. um, you can. Uh, yeah, you can like watch stuff on Netflix or, or Amazon Prime or YouTube and stuff. And uh, it has like a little uh, box up in the corner where you can like, you know, see each other and talk to each other. But all, but then it has like the, the screen that has the the show. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. That but, is that is cool. Yeah, but but definitely watch Suspiria with with somebody at the very least. Cool. And what do you love um, about it? It's one of those movies that I can't think of something that I would change about it, you know, um, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. comes together perfectly. And I, and even like, I, uh, I just saw, I guess for the, for the first time they released it uncut in the United States and it had like a theatrical run. And so me and, uh, my buddy Tyler from church went to, uh, this art house theater in Durham, uh, to go 
you know, see this, this screening of, of Suspiria uncut. He'd never seen it. Um, and so it was his first, it was his first, he was a Suspiria virgin. And, uh, and so we went and it, and it, and it was like, uh, you know, four or five minutes longer. And I actually think that the, the version I grew up watching was better, which might be nostalgia. Right. But, but the music, uh, by the Italian rock band Goblin, uh, is, is just chaotic. And uh, it doesn't sound like anything else in the world. I mean, it, it sounds like uh, if you distilled terror musically, you know, um, the cinematography is beautiful and grotesque at the same time. Like it confuses you, uh, if that makes right. any sense. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and like all Argento movies, it's horribly dubbed into English. Uh-huh. Um, it just beautifully bad dubbing, which is which is just wonderful. <laughs> yes, um, I can appreciate yeah. that for sure. Who else? What are your favorite? What are your favorite movies? Well, going at kind of I guess kind of a different angle. Um, one uh, one movie or a couple movies actually I thought that were really intriguing were Creep and mm. Tusk, and the mm. reason why is because yeah. those are both hilariously horrific movies, and. <laughs> they will tusk on the one hand because i've never actually seen a horror comedy that i enjoyed until i watched that movie because it truly is both horrific and hilarious at the same time and the way that those two genres collide gives a gives, just gives a really interesting experience um creep on the other hand because i'm pretty sure the main character in that movie is actually on i don't know if you guys have seen the show Oh man, what's it called? It's called League about the fantasy yeah, football yeah. league. Yes, main Mark character is on yeah. that. And so the whole time I was watching that movie, I was thinking of him in League. But he was so—I <laughs> mean, his character was terrifying as well. So just the—I I guess it's just the way that those two genres collide just is really intriguing to me. Cool, cool. I think for me, I'd probably have to say The Road, which is an apocalyptic. It's probably not going to be like a that is a great scary. Movie jump horror but like that it's it's legitimately terrifying though i mean it's devastating yeah yeah to me it's it's the kind of terrifying that's like if you imagine going outside thinking it's snowing and you look around and it's a whole bunch of baby spiders (laughs) oh god Ah. it's quiet (laughs) subtle and then you actually look at it deeper you're like oh my gosh i have to get out of here right now (laughs) no Yes. No, it's yeah, that's a legitimately horrifying film and book. So what got you guys into <laughs> horror? If you're like me, you you freaked out your parents at a very young age for being into <laughs> such creepy, dark things. And that's the way it was with me where it, like when I was in grade school, I would bring home all the scary books. And then finally, my parents had to have a talk with the teachers so that I would stop doing that. And that that's obviously <laughs> that has obviously failed. I'm 29 and I'm still doing that. I'm still bringing the creepy books home. Uh, but what got what got you guys into horror? Well, for yeah. me, I I guess I kind of got into horror in a weird way because um, I was a band kid growing up. And uh, after I learned how to read music when I was like 12, I started writing and uh, I loved scales and chords that were like distorted or creepy and weird. And I started thinking about like, wow, that'd be really cool to make music for movies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this would be like a scary movie scene right here. So 
um, whenever I was finally old enough to watch a horror film and my parents weren't going to try to barge into the room, I started watching it because I wanted to see how they made the soundscape to just give you that icky feeling that, like, yeah. you've got to look over your shoulder. Yeah, that's awesome. I sort of just started watching horror films when I was in high school. We watched... Um, watched some of the more popular ones in my home growing up but i started to uh get a little more into it just in high school with a friend and then uh meeting ryan in college we watched quite a bit together so that's really uh, that's really it so (laughs) cool awesome yeah so i i have some questions from readers on twitter and facebook let me let me pull them up here about about horror and faith and here's just kind of a very broad, generic question, but I think it's worth asking. Uh, uh, this is from Aaron Metcalf, Aaron Metcalf on Twitter. And she asks, what can horror reveal about ourselves? Mm, that's my favorite question. Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that there are two two things that it, that it reveals very, very clearly. Um, and this is most of what I think about, actually, probably. Um, and that's, the, I think, good horror reveals that we're not the protagonists in in the story of the universe. Um, Mm. You know, like, so I think one of our, one of the most recent blog posts we did was on uh, Maddie Doe's film, Dearest Sister, which is like the second Laotian horror film. Yes, and it's wonderful. It's a beautiful movie. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, It's incredible. Yeah, but you know, you know, most of the terror in that movie is, is is from the fact that you everything is so tenuous yeah you know um everyone in that movie is is dangerous you know there are spooky scary ghosts but they're they're the least frightening thing you know um and so you you know you follow without spoiling anything you know you follow knock i I think is her you know is her is her name and uh you follow her throughout this movie and you realize you know maybe halfway through that she is not the protagonist of this movie and that's exactly like growing up you know, you kind of uncritically accept yeah. yourself as being the protagonist of your own life uh, until you get to the point where you realize that you um, are the cause of most of your problem and that you're the, the cause of a lot of people's problems. And, you know, that, that your decisions have, have not been uh, nearly so valiant as you think they are and, and, and so on and so forth. And there, you know, there are a lot of movies that, that communicate this well, like Black Death. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. That was another very not. good one. It's it's very 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 good, um, but um, it, it, you know so there's that. But but also I think it teaches us uh, about ourselves that we we do have something to be afraid of. Yes, you know, there there there's something objectively real and concrete that we ought to be afraid of, but it's not the capital O other. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, you know, yeah. kind of what you're saying there about dear sister, it and and how the real enemy is us, the real the the real threat is just our human nature. Um mm. that comes up in It by Stephen King, and I think It the novel is one of the greatest horror novels ever written and it's one of my favorite mm. books ever. Because, and this does not translate well into either of the films at all, is that it's really about, in my view, it's really about prejudice and what what wakes up Pennywise, what wakes up the cosmic horror. 
every 27 years, what corresponds with, with its waking up is a terrible, terrible act of violence or bullying or prejudice or racism mm. where, you know, the first time, the first p- time Pennywise wakes up in, in the story was when the black spot is burned down, a horrible act of racism. The second time is when is a horrible act of homophobia where a gay gay couple is brutally beaten under a bridge mm. in the book. Okay, so and and then Pennywise kind of just represents small town prejudice in my mind. And and it feeds on the fear of this small town and it feeds and it and so really at the end of the day, Pennywise is just kind of the collective human fear it is this collective it is the the horror and disgusting power of collective human prejudice and and in my mind that's what pennywise is and that is totally missed in the movies and and same with same with hp lovecraft and same with um just a, i think a lot of the greatest horror out there is really confronting the things that we are afraid or disgusted by in ourselves and yeah. and trying to yeah. come to terms with those things, trying to come to terms with the things that we're capable of, like in the road where we are totally capable of creating a wasteland like that. And mm-hmm. we yeah. have to confront that possibility. And so, yeah, that that's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Here's another question from a reader. And these these were the only two readers brave enough to offer questions. I normally only get I, I normally get quite a few questions, but this time there weren't too many. This is from Michael Edwards, and this is a pretty long question. So let me go ahead and just read the whole thing. Michael says, "I'm not sure if this is helpful, but I noticed." That in my younger days, many horror films ended with the good guys either winning or at least running neck and neck with sinister forces. I think of the older make of Fright Night. But ever since then, most horror films depict evil triumphing over good. As a Christian, I have hope for, as Tolkien put it, a catastrophe, a blessing coming out of great loss. But in most modern horror, by the time the ending, by the time of the ending credits, there seems to be no hope, only the triumph of evil. Mind you, I rarely watch horror now because of that. Maybe I am mistaken because of watching the wrong horror films. But what is the, <laughs> but what is the place, if any, for hope or optimism in the face of horror and sinister forces? I am a cobbl. I'm a Kabbalist, a priest, and one who believes both in prayer and, perhaps after an age or two, the ultimate victory of God's love. Those things color my thinking. My question may not be usable and may even be naive. I am just thinking out loud. Yeah, I think, I think that horror movies where everything ends up okay um, kind of subliminally communicates like what I was talking about earlier that, oh, we come to the end of this catastrophe and just to remind you, everything is okay and you don't have to think about these things throughout the day. <laughs> right. You know? right. And uh, though that can still be okay, I still think um, to me it's better to sit and grapple with the, oh my gosh, is it so hopeless? 
because if you come to the point where you're asking the question, if it's hopeless, there's room for hope to enter into those hopeless situations. Exactly. You just got to get over that bump of, I don't know if I can sleep tonight and not because I got jump scared, (laughs) but because, but because it's a terrible place. (laughs) And the idea is the idea of something is legitimately horrifying and has real ramifications. Yeah. I mean, and kind of the way, well, I'll, I'll hold off. Does anyone have any other thoughts? Yeah. I I was going to say, you know, what that, what that kind of reminds me of actually is, uh, so William Peter Blatty spent, you know, the last 30 years of his life. The author of, by the way, for those who don't know, William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Spent like the last three decades of his life just really pissed off because he thought that everybody misinterpreted The Exorcist, uh, you know, in theaters, Um, because for the longest time, you know, it was the ending was kind of read, I guess, by by the press, by the critics and so on and so forth as as meaning that, you know, you can come up against evil. You can um, fight it with, you know, with the best of your energy. But ultimately, um, you're you're going to end up out the window, dead on the ground in the process. You know, that's right. that's the way that it was mostly read. But um, he was really upset. And uh, and he even used to argue about this with William Friedkin, who directed it, um, because <laughs> the way that he intended his ending um, was to mean that God exists in the universe will have a happy ending. Mm. Um, and I think if there's one sentence that could sum up maybe the uh, the telos of horror just in general. I, I would probably use that, hmm. you know, because you could you could take like a more a more recent film like uh, I don't know if you've seen. Uh, I think you pronounce her name Katrin Gibbe, uh or Gerba from from Germany. She made a film called Nothing Bad Can Happen, which is about um, this. Uh, there's this group of kind of uh, Christians living at like a Shane Claiborne type compound uh, in Germany. <laughs> so much could so, go wrong. Uh, yes, but but that is actually not um, not the thing that goes wrong. Um, what, what ends up going wrong is that uh, this this very, very, you know, good natured uh, teenager or 20 something who, who lives there ends up making friends with this, this family. And there's, uh, this guy, uh, in this family who's, who's just absolutely sadistic and is determined, uh, to get him to, uh, renounce his faith. Um, and, and so he just puts him through like different forms of psychological torment and so on. Um, and, and, that's that's not spoiling anything, you know, because uh, by the end of the first act of the movie, that's that's begun. Um, and it's it's not a bloody movie or anything like that, but it is really hard to watch. But, um, you know, I won't spoil the ending, but um, the way that it ends could either be interpreted as very, very much a downer or very much an upper. Um, because uh, what I think it ultimately communicates um, is that you know, ultimately the sum total of human suffering, um, is, is real. Um, but that it doesn't nullify, um, I guess the, the transcendence of mercy, you know, like, Mm. um, if you embody mercy in, in your lifetime, um, you've embodied mercy, even if you die, which, you know, sounds kind of really abstract and vague, but, um, I don't know that like however gut-wrenchingly dark um 
like the machinery of the universe is. Um, the fact that mercy exists is just strange um, and, and almost inexplicable. Yes, um, and contrary to that machinery almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah, so insight. Even with, yeah, even without a happy ending, I guess, uh, to, to bring that back to the question, you know, so even without a happy ending, I think that um, horror communicates something irrevocably hopeful. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I Stephen King in one of his forewords to I, as, in case you can't tell, I I adore Stephen King and I have forever. Um, in one of his forewords, I think it was in a forward to The Shining, he said, and I wish I had the quote in front of me, but and I tried finding it, but I can't I can't find it right now. Uh, he says that horror provides us with a filter through which we can look at the truly horrifying things in life. And so to, and he said, you know, the truly horrifying things, thing, everyday things like disease and cancer and, and death of a loved one, death of a pet, a car wreck, you know, these, these genuinely traumatic, awful things. They, he said that they have their own blinding brightness to them, which can make it very hard to look directly at them. And he said that's why we need stories, because story allows us to look at the sun. Stories allow us to look at these blindingly bright, overwhelmingly painful realities of life and and try to come to terms with them. And I don't know, along the lines of, of Michael's question... I'm just thinking in in like the everyday drama of people's lives. Sometimes addiction wins. Sometimes depression wins. Sometimes abuse wins. Sometimes disease wins. And these are the realities of life. And that, and I don't think any of us really ever want to look at those moments when suicide or addiction or violence or war or any of those things and kind of the ongoing dramas of human existence we don't ever want to look at those moments when our demons win but they do win they win every single day and they win in our lives very often and i see horror kind of as part of this long tradition because if you, you know, I think that there's something very, there are aspects of Dostoevsky, like crime and punishment, that could be included in in horror. Half of Shakespeare is horror. There are moments of Dickens <laughs> that, there are moments of Dickens that are legitimately horrifying. You know, there there, there are moments in, in Beowulf that are horrifying, you know, and, and so... Great literature, in my view, has a very dark side to it. And that darkness is an attempt to, to, to reconcile with the fact that sometimes we lose. You know, sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes mm-hmm. Macbeth goes crazy. <laughs> Some like, sometimes Hamlet, <laughs> sometimes Raskolnikov <laughs> acts as an old woman to death. Those are... And that these are realities. All of, in there, though, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and and so I guess in in response to Michael's question, very often in horror, 
evil does win because in life, evil often wins. And if we have any hope of overcoming evil, if we have any hope of living a full life, of of overcoming in our own little micro dramas in which we are overcoming these these archetypal monsters of despair and addiction and compulsion and greed and and just all of the monsters all the demons that we live with if we have any hope of of overcoming and living a full life then we have to consider the possibility that we will lose we have to consider the possibility that we will fail mm. And if we don't mm-hmm. do that, then the game is just over. And and I think horror serves kind of this cultural psychological purpose, many psychological purposes for, for a society, for a community. But, but one of those purposes is that, is the need to have a story to look at the parts of life that in and of themselves are so, Mm -hmm. so great, so blinding, so overwhelming. We may not be able Mm -hmm. to look directly at them, but we can, but we can watch Saw or we can read Stephen King or we can watch Suspiria or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that provides some kind of context for us. I think one thing that um, I was just thinking about, from what you said is, and I'm writing about this right now. Um, I think a horror character that can really sum this up, um, this concept of horror is helping us to deal with reality. Um, even the terrible parts is the original zombie character from Haiti, which hold on one second. You're good. That's something in my throat. Uh oh. Um, is it alive? It's. <laughs> I hope not. Okay. Just just um, making sure. Yeah. But anyways, on uh, sugarcane plantations in Haiti, the slaves, um, a lot of them were from Guinea. Um, they were just worked, in, and we could go on and on about the horrors of slavery itself. Oh my god. But... And the and the horrors in in Haiti, just just the the. Mm the abuse and mm-hmm. and torture and no it it is no horror movie can compare to what to what yeah. happened there yeah no way and the the slaves had a really high suicide rate yes because of all of that and so a story was created that if you die here your spirit gets to go back to guinea or uh, the rest of the continent um, but if you kill yourself, you will come back as a zombie. Mm, I didn't neither know that. living, neither living nor dead, and have to work the plantations for all eternity. Oh gosh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, and so what I think we see there is a push to live and survive and try to find the hope, and also the fear of the human horror that is enacted on other people yes yeah absolutely so kind of i guess what i'm hearing is the way you guys engage in horror and the way i engage in horror is ultimately in the pursuit of living a good life and and is ultimately in the pursuit of living a a just life a righteous life in a life of integrity and that 
that's really what it comes down for me. But I mean, I was having so I was recently on a hike with a very good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, we were just talking on the trail. We were we were hiking for about two and a half hours. And during that conversation, movies came up and he was like, oh, have you seen so and so? And I was like, no, actually, about the only thing I watch is horror. So I don't really watch anything. (laughs) I mean, really, every single night, every single night I get home from work and and I'm hanging out with my partner and one of us looks at at the other and says, do you want to watch a movie? And the other says, <laughs> yeah. And then one of us says, do you want to watch something scary? And the other one says, yeah. And that's how that conversation goes, like literally every single night. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, we really do only watch horror. It's very rare when we don't. And I told my friend this and he was just flabbergasted and and he was like, but Steven, you're like so well-rounded and you're, <laughs> and he was like, and you're, and you're so, you're so like emotionally intelligent and articulate and, and, you know, passionate about, about justice and, and love and, and all of these good redemptive things. And he was like, how is, and people always respond like that when I tell them like one one person recently literally asked me doesn't that like warp your mind or something and (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just interested I have my own thoughts on this which I'll share in a bit but there is this perspective that people who love horror are um serial killers or psychopaths or Mm. Or mm. um, emotionally stunted or un- unevolved, underdeveloped sure. in some way. And yeah. and I'd lo- I get this all the fucking time. And so I would just love to hear your th- I'll share my thoughts in a bit, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Because, I mean, clearly ni- none of you guys are trolls. I mean, I'm assuming none of you guys are serial killers. You all seem pretty decent. So I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, actually that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, because I can imagine that you guys get that, that you get that too. Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah. Especially. Especially, Yeah. And also, and also, let me, let me add that, that I feel like horror is particularly taboo in Christian circles. Definitely. Sure. And, and so it, you know, if you're raised Christian and you love horror, then you might as well just be demon possessed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I was growing up, my mom was really worried. Um, and and the sentence that she would that she would use, and this is a good this is a good sentiment. You know, she was she was on the right track, I think. You know, as sentiments go, you know, but uh, she would say, you know, when when you fill your head with stuff, it doesn't go away. Um, you know, so she was concerned about the images, you know, that I would, that I would fill my head with and, and stuff like that. You know, she was concerned about how, uh, watching horror films would, uh, affect me, um, you know, developmentally and stuff like that, because that is very much a common, uh, that is very much like a common concern amongst Christians. But, you know, so thinking back though, um, you know, I think it was Bride of Chucky that made me realize I was homophobic when I was younger. It, right. You know, um, you know, I, I think it was that movie like it clicked. How so? <clears throat> How so? There's That's this fascinating. One scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this one scene where 
David, I think is his name. Um, and I, I can't remember the main, the main dude's name, but, um, you know, they were sitting there talking and, um, you know, the main dude is, is trying to, you know, he's packing up his van and he's going to try to take his, his girlfriend and go, you know, kind of like, uh, elope with her, um, because her dad is, hates him because he is poor. Um, and, uh, David is their friend and David is, is gay. And, um, you know, they, they talk for a little bit about, um, this, this, this dude that David was in love with and, uh, how, they had to break up because this guy's mom found like their collection of letters and, and flipped out and, you know, forced him to cut off all contact and stuff like that. And I was, I want to say, um, like 16 years old and I'd seen the movie like 57 times. Um, cause I just loved it, uh, growing up and it, it like clicked right there. I was like, Oh my gosh, the way that we treat gay people here in this small Texas town is very similar to that. And I'm part of that and I participate in that. And that's scarier than, than killer dolls, uh, you know? Yes, um, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, and, and so I think good horror, um, is strangely humanizing. Absolutely. You know, I, I think good horror is every bit as backdoor humanizing as, um, as the critically acclaimed dramas that, that people, you know, like the talent is being just especially empathy creating and, and, and so on. And, and stuff like yes. that. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. And, and you know that that brings to mind, like in the way that you that Bride of Chucky helped you realize you're homophobic and helped you come to that epiphany. A, a horror movie that really helped me recently, uh, in 2015 when I saw it, was The Babadook. Um, oh, that's. Yeah, it's a great movie. Great movie because so I live with mental illness and so I I've lived with just severe anxiety and depression. And it's just been a part of my life and and fortunately over the past 2 years it's really stabilized and I'm and I'm able to be more functional now than I really ever have been before. Um Good. yeah, which is a huge, huge <laughs> blessing. I'm so grateful. Um, but, you know, I continue to live with mental illness and I continue to live with the threat of mental illness. You know, I have to I have to be prepared for the likelihood of it coming back. Right. And, that, and that's yeah. just that's just a reality of my life. And so I have to learn to live with that and not run away from that, not hide from it because I because hiding from it is how I will end up dead. And mm. the Babadook was particularly powerful for me. And I've I've already talked about this like twice in previous episodes, so for listeners who are tired of this, I'm sorry, but the Babadook <laughs> is about it's about grief and depression. And the Babadook, this monster, kind of is the personification of all these things. And the more she pushes it away, the more she isn't willing to confront it, to live with it, the more she tries to shut it out, the fiercer and more evil and horrific it becomes. And the, the I mean, spoilers here, but the lesson of the Babadook is you can't get rid of the Babadook. And she ends yeah. up having to learn to live with it. I'm so sorry if mm. that ruined the film for people. But <laughs> the lesson is that she she ends up having to learn to live with it. And, and watching that movie was just so powerful for me 
in realizing, you know, I'm going to live with mental illness probably for the rest of my life. I can't get rid of the Babadook, but I can learn to live with it. And I can learn to live a full and happy life with it. And and seeing that play out on the screen was incredibly powerful for me and and kind of gave me a path forward. Um, it was it was really, really crucial for me in my in my growth, in my coming to stability. And, and, you know, that was when I was I was going through a lot of treatment. I was trying to really trying to find something that worked and, and stuff was finally starting to come together. And so I watched it at just the perfect moment where it was like I, w- I was getting my mental health together enough to kind of function again. And I saw that movie and it was a reminder that I, I can't forget it. I can't forget that this is part of my life. I can't get rid of the Babadook. It will always be there. And I have to be prepared for when it will come back because it will. And yeah. I know it will. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I'm i trying to remember just along the lines of, of horror, people in horror being being actually really decent people. What I am often told is, well, you might have the maturity and the insight to be able to get all this shit from horror movies, but most people are just going to to do it are going to be in it for the uh for the masochism and it's going to get to them and it's going to degrade them. How yeah, would you it, how how would you respond to that? It sounds like you hear that from people that don't talk to people that watch horror movies. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, oh, and I mean I will never say that that you know, I'm never I'm never going to say a a kid, you know, an 8-year-old should watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre like Mm-hmm. Of course, right. of yeah. course. Put it off way too long if he's, if he's eight by the time he watches it. Wait, wait, what was that? I said, oh, he's putting it off way too long if he's eight by the time he watches it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So, uh, three year, three years old. If if a three year old watches Chainsaw Massacre or Saw, now maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's a good idea to prohibit that. Of course, but I think that the I think the claims of horror. Um, corrupting the human mind are just way overblown. I think. Yeah. yeah. It, I sort it, of. I, yeah. Go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Okay. I, in, in, that, that, I think that ties back to sort of the question you had previously asked, which was, what? Why does horror appear so inimical to the Christian faith? And I think part of that is because once again, in our, in our society, we can watch it from the comfort of our home and not have to worry about the events that we're seeing happening. But, and and so it gives this sort of impression that people who, who view that intentionally are, are doing so in almost a, you know, masochistic demonic manner. And I don't, I don't see it that way at all. And I, I, I actually, have always sort of had a sensitivity to horror movies in which one human being or a group of human beings dominates another person or another group of human mm-hmm. beings. And I'm not sure why I've always had that kind of sensitivity, but, and mm-hmm. I, and I Sensit- almost can't how do you, watch. How do you mean sensitivity? Like it really upsets you? Yeah, it really yeah. upsets me. It sort of has like a depressing feel to it, but I've always felt it's sort of important to, to view those kinds of films every now and again. Mm-hmm. And, Actually, yesterday I was I read an article, and this this may or may not be a agreeable statement, but I, but even so, I was reflecting on it and thinking about 
how it even relates to horror movies, but the title of the article was that human dignity was a rarity before Christianity. And in the article, the author basically lays out how human being we, we take so for granted today how human beings are and, and you know we still have issues with uh systemic prejudice and everything but we don't have classes in our society in which some individuals belong to a lower class and some individuals belong to a higher well, meaning, class and meaning we, we don't say, have we don't have a caste system right right we right. don't have a case i mean we definitely exactly. have like we definitely have class but we don't oh, have absolutely but we don't have yeah. caste Right, in a, right. In that we, deeply right. ingrained sense. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, you know, w- that's the, sort of just the, the norm of the day. And we we don't even really think too much of that. And then from, from a, you know, the Christian perspective, you have this man, Jesus, who comes in and he's a part of the lowest class and he's claiming, you know, to be the king of the Jews. And he speaks of a world not or a kingdom not of this world. And it's sort of he sort of overthrows the powers that be from the bottom up. And so it, it's almost like this story of hopefulness that, you know, in a world where it seems like if you're in the lowest class, that there's no hope for you. There's just you're just simply stuck where you are, that you have this man coming up, coming out and he literally overthrows death and the powers that be. And I think that's the Christian message. Absolutely. And so exposing ourselves to what's in horror films is once again exposing us to an aspect of reality that we just don't we aren't accustomed to but the mass majority of people in the history of the human race have experienced these kinds of things firsthand and, and so and the vast majority currently living i mean we are astoundingly sure. privileged and mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. torture mm-hmm. and yeah. rape and genocide and starvation and disease i mean the and violence these are kind of the norm for huge swaths of humanity kind of as we speak yeah. right now in this moment mm. absolutely yeah yeah and i think that um it's kind of like the converse of everything we've been talking around it's like someone will say do you want to fill your head with those images but <laughs> you're constantly filling your head with some kind of image and there's this strain of thought that i see in the church right now that's like this very um, insulated, saccharine kind of um, Mm. way of viewing the world. And you can see it in the way that people talk, like everything's good, everything's great here, God is so good. Oh, but it's so terrible what's happening over there. That is so terrible. (laughs) It's so terrible what's (laughs) happening over there, exactly. And, And, you know, I think what is so dangerous and what horror reminds us of, and maybe this is why we don't like looking at it, is what what is so dangerous is when we get to that place of saying, "Oh, it's over there," mm-hmm. and when yeah. we and when we forget that evil lives right here, and that evil has the possibility to to thrive within us right here, right now. Um, that if we were in Nazi Germany, we would probably be Nazis, and that's the reality. The vast majority of us good, decent people would be Nazis, and we have to confront that reality. Um, do you think that there is healthy horror and unhealthy horror? I do. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Uh, uh, re- reflect on that a bit for me. So one of my 
favorite directors is a guy, I don't know if this is how you pronounce it, but he's a Belgian director named Fabrice de Wells, and he made uh, Calvera uh, and Vignon and Alleluia, uh, you know, a number of kind of famous movies. And those are wonderful, but I, I just watched his newest movie, and it's called um, A Message from the King, and it was picked up by Netflix. And I couldn't believe how nihilistic and bankrupt it was. Hmm. Um, it was kind of a it was kind of a, a revenge horror uh, thriller type, and um, I think that it it's a good example of unhealthy horror um, because <clears throat> and, and it kind of pains me to say this because I love the rest of his work so much. Um, but uh, and I, it could be that I'm misreading it, but um, it ultimately communicates that violence is the solution. Um, to the problem of existence, you know, or, you know, violence is the solution to, um, to the entropy of the world. And I think that ultimately any, any medium anywhere that communicates that message, uh, is, is unhealthy everything, Um, you know, for sure. Um, and so, you know, and so really you're not saying that anything goes in art you're and this is something that I that I always feel like I need to clarify because I am into I guess you could say very dark horrifying transgressive art mm. but the but what what is what draws me to it and I think that the value of it is it's still rooted in in a kind of a, a sense of ethics about what art can and cannot be what art should and should not be and so there is this idea that horror a serves no purpose that horror is simply for the depraved mind but also that horror uh doesn't have an ethic that that horror can't have an an ethic of storytelling Mm. um and i that is totally untrue you know there are horror movies that i find incredibly unethical there are horror movies Mm. that, that i find very um that do appeal to 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 the lower human nature um, yeah. as yeah. there are in in all art forms um well i'm afraid we're running out of time but are there any other final thoughts that you have before we we conclude i think one thing i'll just say just as an image to maybe help our conversation from a few minutes before is um a few weeks ago i made a painting that i call protect the others and uh you can imagine a room that's dark and there's a fire lit in the middle of it and off to the right you see a group of people looking toward a wall and they're behind the fire and then on the other side of the fire is a person looking toward the wall as well and they have a sword and a shield and you look at their feet and their shadow goes up to the wall and the shadow goes up the wall and it turns into this like demonic looking character and mm. everyone's watching and they can see where the shadow's coming from but the person who's trying to fight the demon doesn't realize that it's his shadow mm. yeah and, and so that speaks to the need to understand our own inner human darkness yeah especially Absolutely. when we think we're fighting f- against something else <clears throat> when the problem is actually us and it's been us the whole time yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, for listeners who may be interested in watching some horror, what would you recommend? Ooh, 
Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this is not for the faint of heart, but um, I think one of the best movie or best horror movies of the 21st century so far is uh, Martyrs by uh, Pascal Lagier. Mm, and that's, um, that's one that I've been needing to see, too. Oh, man. Yeah. It's it's really annoying because you can only get a hold of the like butchered R-rated version because they cut like four minutes out of it uh, for the U.S. distribution. Um, but yeah, no, if you can if you can get a hold of any any version of it is good. And that's, I would I'd recommend that. And it's part of the French oh, extremist movement, isn't it? It is. French which I extrem- hate that name. French extremity, I guess. Yeah. 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 The new French extremity, which I think implies a lot that's not really true. You know, sure. movies like uh, Trouble Every Day is is also associated with it, but it's really not. It's it's only extreme, I guess, if you if you grew up on uh, Insidious, you know, or, or something like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, no, Martyrs, uh, a movie called Company of Wolves, which is a werewolf movie by um, by Angela Carter, who's a, you know, a feminist author. Um, Daughters of Darkness, which is a Belgian vampire horror movie. Uh, Living Dead Girl, and probably I Saw the Devil, which is kind of the anti-death wish, uh, mm. in a sense. Those would be my big recommendations. Awesome. Anyone else? All right. Well, so (laughs) (laughs) moving on. Um, And and I would definitely recommend people see The Babadook. Um, Yes. Yeah. Great, great movie. Well, that's it for our show. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about this. I love horror. I'm sure we could talk for for days about this. But sadly, I need to head off to work. So Mm. uh, but. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, The music is by Matt Langston, The Jelly Rocks, and the artwork is by Justin K. Bryant. If you love my work and want to read more of it, you can find me at sbradfordlong.com. You can read my dozens of articles on mental health, LGBT issues, faith and doubt, science, and whatever strikes my fancy. And also, you can become a patron there. So each episode takes about five to ten hours to record and produce. And that is all me. This is a one-man show, and I love it. I will keep doing it. I will keep trying to bring you one article a week and one podcast a week. I'm starting to look kind of like a meth addict because of that work schedule, but it's worth it. I love it. Uh And if you want to support me in that, please consider becoming a patron. And you can do that at sbradfordlong.com. So I will see you next week.